That was great, wasn't it? And as Gary suggested, we need to do that uh, more than once a year. Here, uh, as Christians, uh, we, do, we don't vote uh, with the paper. We vote with an amen. So if you'd like to have more of that, say amen. 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 Good. Okay. All right. This morning, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to take a break from Acts. We don't always do a uh, holiday message, but we're going to do one this year. The brothers asked for it. So the Lord laid on my heart this wonderful uh, section that we often hear and in fact sing this time of year. It's Isaiah 9, two verses. Starting with verse 6. And if you know Handel's Messiah, you can uh, hum the tune as I read it here. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Today, uh, the phrase peace on earth is um, pretty prevalent at this time of year. You see it in lights, see it painted uh, on signs, peace on earth, and yet it seems farther away than ever, to be honest about it. Currently, there are eight major wars worldwide. Uh, the UN is the ones that decide what makes a major war. It's where more than 1,000 people are killed in a year. So there are eight of those going on currently, and that's pretty typical, and it's been typical ever since time immemorial. There are 35 other wars which are not classified as major, but let me tell you, every death has just as devastating an effect upon the friends and family as the major ones do. Uh, It's a typical year for war, but the wars are not typical like they used to be. Uh, Through World War I, the casualties in a war were 90% combatants and 10% civilians. We've come to the point now to where in a war, 75% of the deaths are civilians. And on an individual basis, personal peace is just as rare and elusive as world peace. People everywhere are troubled, fearful, apprehensive. This will be my 60th New Year coming up. And I can look back on all the experts at this time of year. They talk about their hope and their prayer and their prediction of of better things, of good change next year. I've seen them come and go. And the only thing that's changed, really, from year to year is the faces and the voices that make the predictions. People long for peace. Yet, as Jesus himself said, there is no peace. We are incapable of achieving it on a personal level as we are on a global scale. Yet, the time is coming very soon when there will be indeed world peace. Peace will come to planet Earth and to all who dwell on it. That is, to all who are permitted to dwell on it. And 
it will last forever. Isn't that great? Man, that's something to look forward to. Look, this is not a dream. It's not wishful thinking. This is not pie in the sky. It will not be the result of the UN or peace talks in the Middle East or any other human effort. This is something that God himself plainly declares is going to happen. And when God says he's going to do something, he does it. He said he was going to send his son to die on the cross for our sins. That happened. It's over. It's finished. It's done. The next major thing on his agenda is the end of the world and the eternal reign of his son. That's going to happen. You believe that? Some do. Praise God. This is not some New Year's prognosticator here predicting peace, okay? This is God speaking. And he's plainly stating that it will happen. So these are the verses we're going to look at this morning. They're wonderful verses. As I said, they're often sung this time of year. I'm sure many of you have attended or will attend a performance of the Messiah. And this uh, forms one of the beautiful sections in that oratorio. But it's interesting, people, when they think about this verse, they think about his birth. And if you notice, the emphasis is on his reigning as king. And we're going to see that. In verse 6, it says, unto us a child is born. Now, to be quite honest with the scripture, the us here is the nation of Israel. Isaiah is a Jew speaking as a Jew. But God intends it to be for everyone. For example, the context here, by the way, of these two verses is that God is uh, he's sympathizing with the the troubles of the nation of Israel. And uh, it's during the time when they're being judged for their sins. Assyria has just come in from the north. They've already started invading the country. Next will come the Babylonians. And pretty soon the whole nation is going to be carried away captive. And in the midst of this, people are troubled and they're wondering, you know, will there ever be peace? And so that's when in the middle of this, God says, yeah. There will come a day. There is one who will rule and there will be peace. But uh, the Gentiles are included in this. It's very interesting. If you look back at uh, verse uh, one in verse, chapter nine, nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who was distressed as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the gentiles the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light you should recognize that if you did in the other stuff that's also in the messiah those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death upon them a light has shined now maybe you didn't understand everything there but god is saying uh the northern part of the of israel's had a rough time of it that's what he's saying and in particular uh galilee that's that's up of course where the lord jesus ministered uh, much of his life and he's saying that there's going to be a bright light shining in that area someday well it's, he's talking about of course the coming of his son but he calls it interestingly enough galilee of the gentiles is that interesting that includes me i'm a gentile uh when the uh, angels spoke to the shepherds remember they said i bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to what all people yes praise god And if you look over at uh, chapter 11 and verse 10, we're mentioned there as well in regard to this one who is coming. He says that in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse. who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Okay, so it says 
unto us a child is born, we can include ourselves in that as well. Noah's gone. Uh, we could use him as an example of the uh, other half, the Jews. Okay, and then he, he has another path. First he says, unto us a child is born. And then he says, unto us a son is given. And often there's parallelism in the Bible. And we read that and we think, oh yeah, he's just saying the same thing again. No, he's not. First of all, notice what God says. He says, unto us a son is given. Now, isn't that interesting? We typically, we've, we've had three children. And we, we usually don't go around saying, we've just had a son given to us. Or a daughter given to us. No, it is true that that's happened. But we say, we had a boy, typically, right? Or it was a boy. Here, they're saying, uh, the son is given. Well, if he says uh, the, child is, uh, the son is given, that implies a giver. And the giver, of course, is the Lord himself. And really, this is a preview of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is the giver. And it's his son whom he is giving. When God gives, he always gives his best. Even though it costs him dearly. Okay, uh, we're going to get to the five titles. That's, that's the, really the theme of the message this morning. But before we get there, uh, there's this one other phrase. that says that the government shall be upon his shoulder. I like that. It doesn't just say he will rule or he will govern. See how God said it? The government will be on his shoulder. Man, I like that. It says he's going to bear the full weight and responsibility of governing the earth. Isn't that good? By himself. Jesus can handle that. His shoulder is strong enough to do that. And it should cause us to pause and think that before that shoulder will bear the government of the earth, it bore the cross. As he carried it to his place of crucifixion. Okay, then... God gives us this wonderful section. He says, and his name will be called. And he says, his name singular. And then he proceeds to give us five names. It's because one won't do it. And we're going to look at those this morning. And I, you're going to see that uh, not only are they a perfect choice to make a full set to describe this one, there's actually a progression within them. First of all, uh, he's called Wonderful. I love that. Isn't that a great name? He is wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. Do you agree with that? Man, I've never met anybody like him. There's no one like Jesus. He's wonderful. God is saying so much with that one where he's saying he's good. He's kind. He's loving. In fact, he is love. Uh, He is compassionate. He is merciful. We could go on and on. Jesus is wonderful. His motives are always pure and unselfish. In fact, he considers no sacrifice too great for him to make to bring happiness and joy to his subjects. That's wonderful. You ever met anybody like that? Just Jesus. And the wonderful, if I can say that thing about this is, this is not just theory. He's already proved this at the cross, that he loves us that much. Now, here is the perfect king. Okay, you're not going to be able to improve on a king like this. He has plans for us for the future. In fact, he is constantly thinking of wonderful things for us as his subjects. 
Uh, in fact, it's going to take eternity, apparently. That's what Ephesians says, for him to show all the kindness that he, that he has in store for us. Wow, can you imagine? My kindness would run out in a very short while. The kindness of Jesus is going to take eternity. That means it's never going to end. It says in First uh, Corinthians that eyes not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. We'll find out. God says in a Jeremiah, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He's wonderful. This is the one you want to be ruling over the world. And the neat thing is, he's both world ruler and personal savior and Lord at the same time. He's not that king way off, you know, that I might meet someday. If you know Jesus Christ today, think of that. This one who is going to rule the world is your own personal lord and savior you know him in a personal way he is wonderful and he has wonderful plans for you and for me and he has the desire to carry them out as well that leads us to the next title counselor he alone is wise that's what that title is communicating to have wonderful plans uh is one thing to have the best plans and carry them out in the best way takes wisdom. You see. So he's called the counselor. It, not just knowledge, information, or facts, but wisdom. The ability to choose from all the present possibilities and all the future eventualities and choose the best option. That's wisdom, you see. All rulers, kings, dictators, and presidents have advisors of some sort, don't they? Every one of them has. It's because they sense their own inadequacy and ignorance on many things. And the honest ones are the first to admit it. <laughs> the first one was Moses, of course. And he, he, <clears throat> he's one of the most open uh, judges or rulers you've ever seen. He constantly said, Lord, this is too much for me. He said, I can't bear it. At one point, he prayed to God. He said, these people are too much for me to bear. Kill me now. It's a great responsibility. Now, it's always there. Just because rulers don't acknowledge it, don't think they don't sense it. It's very real to have the uh, power over a complete people. <clears throat> the next uh, is, of course, in the Scripture again, and it's Solomon. Remember when Solomon was uh, inherited the throne from his father David, and he, and he cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, I'm just a little child. I don't even know how to, come out, to go out and come in. I can't rule this people. I need wisdom from you. It's an intimidating and sobering thing to have power over an entire people. It tends to bring out a man's sense of his own inadequacy. From the most benevolent king to the worst dictator, all have had an inner circle of advisors, other men or women who are knowledgeable in areas in which they are ignorant or untaught. Or just to give another perspective in a crisis or a difficult situation. All rulers sense the need of a second and third opinion even if they don't follow it it's not so with the lord jesus he knows all things he's created all things he controls all things he upholds all things by the word of his power he knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts there is nothing hidden from him he knows the end from the beginning during his ministry think about it he never stumbled for an answer 
He always taught with authority about every subject. God, man, heaven, hell, sin, salvation. Think about that. With authority. And he never corrected himself. He never retracted a statement. He never said, uh, I don't know. Or I think. You know? And he silenced every critic. Notice, he needs no advisors, you see. That's why he's called counselor here. No other counselors, no cabinet, no ministers, no help, no advice, no recommendations. He doesn't need them. He is simply the wise one. As Paul states that, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? The implied answer to that is nobody. What great titles. Wonderful and counselor. He is wonderful. He has wonderful plans. And the wisdom to choose the very best for his people. We're painting a beautiful portrait here of a great king. But what good are being wonderful and counselor if he has no power to carry them out? Next title. The mighty God. Wow. That says it all. Notice he's not just called God, but it's emphasizing his power and his sovereignty. It's literally almighty God. God almighty. In other words, the God of all power. By the way, this is a clear statement of the deity of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Almighty God. <clears throat> Echoing another of his names when he was born in Bethlehem. Emmanuel. God with us. <clears throat> what a day it will be when this one finally takes his rightful place. The one who was wonderful, counselor, and almighty God. By the way, he, is, he alone is fit to rule any people. You realize that? Alone. Only. In the final analysis, no human is really fit to take on such a responsibility. Even the most benevolent ruler with the best intentions has made bad judgments, caused suffering simply because with great power come great mistakes. Besides the temptations of abuse of power, self-satisfaction, greed, self-glorification, and then there are the weaknesses of pride, Prejudice, biases, misunderstandings, ignorance, succumbing to the influence of others, favoritism, we could go on. These are the problems with power given into the hands of men. Even the relative limited power of the king of a nation or an empire has never been wielded perfectly and justly, but with defects and shortcomings and sometimes with great evil. Praise the Lord, the only one who has all power is the only one fit to exercise it. And praise God, the only one who is wonderful, counselor, he is the only one who has all power. He alone is worthy. In fact, let me put it this way, he must rule, okay? Right now, to be honest, things are out of kilter. There is a prince of this world right now, and it's not Jesus. And things are not going to be right until it is Jesus. For Christ not to eventually rule over all forever would be a gross miscarriage. Imagine an Olympic runner 
training for years, has set a record in the 100 meters, fastest man in the world. Comes the day of the Olympics. He goes to the stadium, buys a ticket, and goes up and sits in the stands and watches it. It'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Imagine Rembrandt being a plumber and Da Vinci being a ditch digger and never setting brush to canvas. It wouldn't be right. They needed to express their God-given talents. Well, if there's anything that's fit, that's right, it's that Jesus Christ will rule. He will be king and that forever. Creation groans for it, says that in the Bible. And every true believer, by the way, knows that holy unrest, don't we, of longing for the Lord Jesus Christ to take his rightful place. Amen? Yes. It is good. It is right. It is fit. It is inevitable. Next title. says, Everlasting Father. Even the best monarchies and tenures and reigns have ended. They always come to an end either with the overthrow or death of those who have ruled. How tragic if the rule of this one of whom we have been speaking went the way of all the others. We have the expression, all good things must what? Come to an end. Well, praise God, not so in this case. (laughs) This is a good thing and it's never going to end. Every time God talks about the rule of his son, he always includes the word forever, forever, forever. And that's what this title is talking about. Really, it's better translated Father of Eternity. Father of Eternity. That's Jesus. He's the Father of Eternity. Uh, So this wonderful counselor who is Almighty God will rule forever. That's what that's saying. His reign will never end. Once he takes up the crown and the scepter, he will never lay them down again. Uh, In fact, he says in verse 7, of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. All other governments will be forgotten. His rule, the only right one, will go on forever. Listen to Daniel's description of it as he tells Nebuchadnezzar about his dream of this great statue composed of different materials. And in the end, you're going to hear about this stone, and that's the reign of Jesus, the rule of Jesus. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff uh, from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Father of eternity. This is, this is a stronger statement. You may wonder, why is he called Father of Eternity? Why, why, isn't, why doesn't it just say well, he's the eternal one or he's the one who will rule forever? Well, it's a stronger statement than either one of those. Father of Eternity says that 
He is the very creator of eternity itself. Okay? If it says he's the eternal one, it's kind of like eternity's out there, you know, and it keeps him going. No. He's the father of eternity. He has created time, eternity, and space. He is not bound by any of them. And he's not subject to any of them. So here is one good thing that will not come to an end. It cannot come to an end. <clears throat> uh, we're going to talk about two repetitions in light of this. Now, there are a couple of things that are declared twice in the Bible. Uh, first of all, there's God's promise to him that his reign will last forever. Think about that. God promises his son that he's going to rule forever. That's pretty strong, huh? That's a promise. And he doesn't just do it once. He does it twice. First, he does it in Psalm 47. He says to the son, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And then he repeats it in Hebrews chapter 1. He says it again. But to the son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. I think God means it. It's going to be forever. And the other... uh, double or uh twice promise here is is that phrase i love that phrase you catch that your throne of god is forever and ever that's a double eternity you got that forever and ever twice forever and uh, that wonderful phrase of course is repeated and it's in the uh handles messiah again as christians we rehearse it right now when we sing it and it's found in Revelation. And it goes like this. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign. How long? Forever. Amen. Forever and ever. There it is again. We're going to join those voices one day. And I, I'll tell you, there's going to be such joy in seeing that when it finally happens. No looking back. You know? Finally, Jesus is where he should be and he's never going to leave there's going to be a lot of joy in singing that song okay finally uh the last title prince of peace we began by describing the nature of the king wonderful and we end here uh describing him but also describing the nature of his rule and the key word is peace and and we've come full circle that's what we began talking about at the beginning here no more war, no more violence, no murder, no terror, no fear. God describes it better than I could. Just turn to the right here, two chapters in Isaiah. And listen to this description of this wonderful one's reign. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. There's his title, isn't it, by the way? Counselor. See it? The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. 
The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with that with the young goat. Will that be a sight? The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Imagine a little child walking with with a leash and a little and a lion behind the child. Can you imagine that? The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Man, I'm longing for that day. They shall not hurt nor destroy. I like that. No more tears, no more death, no more sorrow. Think about it. <clears throat> Could it be any other way when, when this one is raining? It has to be this way. It would be contradictory to, to, for there to be uh, any kind of uh, suffering or sorrow or, or uh, violence. Jesus is not just a peacemaker. He's the prince of peace. That's the title here. Peace in the animal kingdom. We saw it. Peace between people. Peace on earth. And in each heart, as he himself said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And if you know Jesus, you know what he's talking about. That's true peace. That's real peace. And only Jesus can give it. All of these are gifts from the Prince of Peace to his people. They flow from his own great love and grace. And yet, the greatest peace of all, he couldn't just give or create. That was peace with God. And he bought that with the price of his own blood. But that he gives freely as well. The Prince of Peace. And right now he offers that peace to any who will come to him. Have you received that peace? Do you know that peace? Well, God, after introducing this one to us, he, he summarizes here in chapter 9 and verse 7 of what it's going to be like when he does rule <clears throat> this first phrase here really if you think about it it's uh it's difficult to understand it says of the increase of his government in peace there will be no end how can his government increase and how can the peace increase i don't understand that but i can tell you this it, it lets us know that it's not some stagnant peace it's not a status quo i think that's what god's trying to tell us here it's going to get better and better and better. I think that's what he's trying to say here. <clears throat> and I love this next phrase. He says, <clears throat> after uh, saying that uh, the son will take over the, the throne of David in order and establishment, he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Oh, man, I love that. The zeal. You know, God is zealous. You ever been zealous before? So it means um, that you were so determined and excited to do something that nothing would stop you. You ever been like that? Uh, you let nothing stand in your way. You were zealous. It, it, now, it could be something bad, okay? It doesn't necessarily have to be something good. We can be zealous for bad things as well as good things. Whatever it was, you thought you just could not wait until it happened. You know? Ugh, I want it now. That's what it's saying here about God, you see. That's how he feels about his son ruling. He feels that strongly about it. Let me tell you, he's promised it. He's zealous about it. It's going to happen. 
I don't, I don't know what else is going to happen, but I can tell you this. Jesus Christ is going to rule. And God is going to see to that. He's zealous for it. He's excited about it. He's determined that it's going to happen. Well, what a promise for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ already. Before he takes his place as the world ruler. Think about it. What a privilege we have, brothers and sisters, to personally have this king ruling over us right now. Think about that. Man, what a privilege. Have you met the king yet? Do you know him? He's here today. There's an interesting thing about this uh, whole subject, by the way. It's not like other kingdoms in one very uh, large sense. When he comes to rule, you have to have already become his subject. His kingdom is not going to be comprised of people on the earth at that time. In fact, most of them are going to be judged for their sin. And that's the last glimpse they'll get of him. If you're going to be a subject of Jesus Christ during his reign, you have to become one now. Interesting. It's kind of like in advance, he is going out and gathering the subjects for his kingdom. It's, you may think it's large, but compared to the world population, as Jesus said himself, it's very small. Just a few. But the invitation goes out to all. But the point is, you have to make the decision now if you want to be his subject. You can't wait until then. If you do, it'll be too late. Is he your king now? Have you made him your king already? The offer goes out. Something has to happen if you're going to become his subject, though. You have to abdicate. <laughs> you know what that means, right? That's what kings do. They step down from the throne. Well, that's what you've got to do. If you're going to become his subject, you can't be king anymore. He has to be king over all, just like he's going to be king over all someday. Think about it. If you don't know Jesus Christ, don't wait. He is going to come. And whether you know him or not, God says this very plainly about it. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do it now, right now. You couldn't make a wiser decision than to make Jesus king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you this morning as wonderful counselor, almighty God, father of eternity, prince of peace. And Lord, we who know you, we tell you, we long for that day. We long for things to be set right, for you to take your rightful place so that we can sing that great song that the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Lord, we long for that day. We know it's going to be soon. We pray for anyone here who is not ready to enter that kingdom that they would do it now before it's too late, that they would come to you, bow the knee now and acknowledge you as King, Savior, and Lord. We ask it in your precious name. Amen.